we go. Well, hello, everyone. Sorry. I hit the wrong button. Happens with my old age. It is what it is. We're so thankful. Hello, everybody, that you're here. Say hello to someone. Hello. Now look to the one person across the room and say hello to that person. Everybody's sick. Everybody's sick in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's flu. There's bronchitis. There's sinuses. But more importantly, there's pollen on everybody's car. With a, everybody has a yellow car this time of year. Isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful. Tough crap. Wherever you are today, uh, we're thankful that uh, you have gathered with us as we continue our series, She Said, He Said, where I give all of my best marriage advice from my 15 marriages, my 20 novels that I've written on it. Uh, they call me the love doctor. I'm just kidding. They don't, but I'm so thankful that we are in the Lord. But for real, for real, uh, just really to recap where we've been in this series, we've just been talking about dating and relationships and God's marriage design. We started off the first week talking about how we can work through conflict and how each and every one of us, because of our differences, will have conflict. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is our third strand, God is our third cord, and how we have to be unified around something greater than us so that our differences aren't a threat. Instead, our differences can be celebrated, and therefore, we can be united. And so today, uh, we're going to continue into that. So wherever you are, uh, married, single, uh, questioning, you don't know, your relationship status is a question, uh, you don't quite know. Maybe you're just a friend of Tom on MySpace. You're welcome. That's how old I am. Wherever you are, today is something for you. So married folks, I want to help you today. Don't tune out today. Uh, we are going to talk about singles, but it's going to be more than that, all right, uh, when it comes to that. So married folks today, my goal for you today is to have a good Sunday afternoon nap. Maybe you got Lionel Richie on, lady. Maybe you go and say, Lionel Richie ain't it, we got to get Kenny Rogers on, you know. And if you get Kenny Rogers, you might as well have Dolly Parton sing Islands in the Stream with him, and it's good to go. Or you could just skip right to it. It's playing lowly in the background. There's a lot of ways of saying what I want to say to you. Come on, you know what it is. There's songs and poems and promises and dreams and might come true. I'm going to stop right there because they're going to kick us off. Because once I get to the starry night and the moonlit ground, good Lord knows what's going to happen. So wherever you are right now, I felt in my spirit. My kids grew by two again this year. I can't wait. I felt it from those Sunday afternoon naps. If you ever wondered if I listened to all types of music, you just know and heard Conway Twitty in the house of the Lord today. My mother is laughing in heaven. My dad is. My mom was queuing up Love Me Tender from Elvis. But then she heard me sing Kanye, and Jesus was knocking on the door, and she's like, don't take him home yet, Lord. He's not going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. He's still got some race to run. Don't take him home yet. So uh, you confirmed that your pastor needs prayer always today. So prepare your heart wherever you are. We're so thankful you are here with us today. We're going to start in the same verse we started with. Uh, just so you know, you can get in a couple different places in your Bible, but if you really want to be where we're going to be most of the time today, we're going to share the story of Ruth, which is very familiar to us, but we're going to start where we've started the past few weeks in Ecclesiastes, because we have to make sure that we're rallying around this and understanding this. Ecclesiastes 4.12, and it says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So we hear that at marriages, we hear that at church series about marriages. It is true not just in our marriage 
But in every relationship, if you understand that the person across from you is someone that Jesus has placed in your path, if he is the third strand, regardless of your difference with them, maybe you don't believe, agree with them politically, you don't agree with them uh, in their diet, you don't agree with them uh, in their team that they cheer for on a Sunday, or whatever that is, when Jesus is in it, you can have that conversation Live out Psalm 23, have that table prepared before your enemies, and know that Jesus is going to work it out. So wherever you are today, 100% participation. This is how I know there's something for all of us today. How many have been or are currently single? Everyone. You have been single or you were currently single. If you're not um, you are an AI bot, and we're glad that you're here. I don't know where you are. Leave a comment. But if you aren't, all of us have been single. So today, I will say, if you are a married person, there is a single person in your path. But also, for your marriage today, as we walk through what we're about to learn through, there's going to be something in there for you, too. So today, what we're going to talk about when it comes to she said, he said, is the date debate. The date debate. I could have been real ultra Christianese and put the lunch debate, but I wanted to honor those who watched throughout the week around the world. So the date debate, wherever you are, because there's going to be a debate again when you walk out uh, after you get out of the message. There's going to be a debate, and the debate is going to be where you go for lunch, always. It's, the, uh, it's just the way it happens. You're going to be mad at each other. And then you're finally going to come to agreement, and the wait's going to be too long, and you're going to go to the drive through somewhere else. I'm just going to go ahead and help you out, and help you out. Chick-fil-A isn't open. There you go. So wherever you are, you know you're not going there. So you settled it. You have common ground. There you go. The date debate. So you know someone that's single, but married couples, I want to remind us today, just because you're married doesn't mean that you should stop dating. Not other people. That's weird. That's a different Kanye Twitty song. That's I see you want to in your eyes, and we don't want that, okay? We don't need that in the house of the Lord today. I want you to be one with your spouse. So here we go. The date debate. Here's why we want to talk about this. Can we be honest today? Marriage in the church is like a, a status symbol that is above everything else. We, we, we take marriage as holiness, right? Like it is. We understand, especially in the church, that our marriage is greater than myself and my spouse. Like uh, we're pointing to something greater. We're pointing to Jesus, right? Like inside the church, it's just a, uh, it's just a given that you're supposed to be married most of the time. And see, the problem is when we do that, if someone is single, divorced, or widowed, it can have them be in a season of resentment in their singleness. It really can. Let's just be honest. It can. As a matter of fact, even in your marriage, you compare your marriage to someone else's. Why are their kids good and mine aren't? Why are my kids good and theirs aren't? Why is their marriage perfect and mine's not? Why do they have a better house than I have? Did I not deserve this, Lord? Like, why did I put nails under their tires on the way out? I'm sorry, that was, anyway, pray for me. Wherever you are, when that happens, for real, we get into this comparison and resentment, even in our marriage. And Jesus came to set us free so that we don't. He wants us to be strengthened in all of our relationships. In the body of Christ, we all belong to each other, whether single, widowed, divorced, married, all across the board. Yet, if we're not quite careful, we will exclude others because we put marriage on a pedestal. Okay? There's nothing wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, Jesus, it, God ordained it, as we talked about last week, and we're going to be married to Christ as the bride of Christ. You can work out the details of that later in your theology. But understand that marriage points to something greater than each and every one of us. So, now that we know that, I'm going to give you a shocker, shaka today. Did you know the Bible's not a dating app? <laughs> <laughs> 
nor is it a dating manual. It's an instruction manual for life. It doesn't tell you how to date. Look in the Bible. Does it tell you how to date? Did Jesus tell you 100%? Here are the three steps that you need to do. As a matter, oh gosh, there's some terrible things to bring it up every year. Pray for me, I won't. Christian mingle, but it's not Christian mingle. It'll make you laugh. I know, yeah, you know. It, it, it'll be something, yeah. It, yeah. Y'all can look that up later and you'll laugh. And that's how it goes in the church. If you're a college and singles ministry or college ministry, everybody's trying to get you hooked up. But when you're my age, they just forget about it. It's great. So you don't have to worry about it too much when you get to my age. But college and singles, that's where you are. So this is what I'm trying to say when it comes to that. How do we reconcile that? If the Bible's an instruction manual for life, how do we reconcile dating? Because, like, you look in the Old Testament, and the only dating story is, like, where the father goes to, like, a well to find a, a daughter for his son in another land because he wants it to stay inside the people of God. And I don't know about you, but the last time I went down to the watering hole or the well, it's probably not where I wanted to be because I, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, if that's the case, Right? Because the watering hole is what we call the bar or the honky-tonk back in the day, right? Like, that's what that was. So we don't look at this. We look at the Bible and we say, so what do we do? How do we reconcile this? So the Bible's an instruction manual for life, but how does that play out in the date debate? How does that play out in my life? So I want to tell you today, this is what I would love for us to have. I want everyone, including singles, to be encouraged today. I've been praying that not only singles be encouraged, that our, our marriage relationships are strengthened today. But most importantly, every relationship we have grows today because it's something for all of us. So we're going to get to Ruth in a second. So let's see what, what does the Bible say realistically? What can we go with this instruction manual for life and carry over into our relationship with our spouse when it comes to dating relationships and God's marriage design? And 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says this. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and get there. I want to go ahead and say it because I, I, we got to say it every week because I'm thankful for everyone. We always have free Bibles here in the house of the Lord. If you would like it, you can follow along with us on our app at thevine.tv slash app or in the house. Zach makes sure that uh, I, I look smarter than I really am because I'm really not. Each and every week, so wherever you're watching around the world throughout the week, it's on the screen. If I get to see your smiling face in the house of the Lord, I see it right now. And if you're on the other side of a computer screen, I'm thankful you're here. You're going to see it on the screen too. So if you're with me, give me an amen. I hear amens in the house of the Lord. That means there's truth. So we're going to go to the truth of the word of God. Second Peter 1 Verse 3 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Look at this, his divine power. Whose divine power? His divine power. Creator God. It doesn't say by your marriage app, by your, your, your seven steps to getting this, by your life hack. None of that. It says God's divine power has given us what? Some things? Yeah, everything. So in other words, God, creator God, has given us everything that we need for a, good, a godly life when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Why do we know that? Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Go back to John 1, 1. Go back to John 1, who is Jesus? John 14, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us to the full glory of the Son from the Father, right? That is Jesus. So in other words, we have a date debate. I'm supposed to, I, I'm looking for a spouse in my marriage, but it says God's given me everything I need. So how do I reconcile that? 
See, the thing is, so many times, I just want to lay it out here. His divine power, we say it every year, but we, we have to be reminded. Your spouse ain't your savior. Your kids ain't your savior. Your gas tank ain't your savior, and you already know your job ain't your savior. Let's just be real. No thing in this world is your savior except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if we put that on anyone else, we're not only setting ourselves up for failure, but the relationships we have through them can be set up for failure. And that's not what we want today in the Lord. So that is what we are reading in 2 Peter 1.3. So remember this, and let's dive into Ruth. I'll be done today about 2.30, 3.45, I don't know. It'll be something like, there'll be a hot and now sign at Krispy Kreme when we get done today. So let's go ahead and get in the house of the Lord today. Let's go to this this love story that is Ruth. And if you've never heard the story of Ruth, we've unpacked it here. It's, a, it's an awesome love story. The story of Ruth is great. What ends up happening is in Bethlehem, there's a famine, all right? And uh, there are two people that are in Bethlehem uh, that, that are eventually of the tribe of David. Uh, we'll get there a little bit later. They're in King David's lineage. Uh, Naomi and Elimelech, what a cool name. You couldn't find that name on a keychain anywhere either. Elimelech. Elimelech go, and they basically go where the factory goes. They go where the job is. They move to this place called Moab, and they have two sons. And their two sons get married to Orpah and Ruth. It makes you want to know, maybe they missed something transcribing because you really want to see Oprah there, but it's Orpah. It's a little different. Same, same letters, just a little different variation. Uh, but Orpah and Ruth are the daughter-in-laws. What happens is Elimelech passes away. Their two sons pass away. In Moab, uh, Naomi and Elimelech's two sons. And so it leaves Naomi widowed, and it leaves her two daughter-in-laws widowed at the same time. And so to understand that, the reason we want to talk about this today is I would be willing to bet Ruth nor Orpah thought that they would be young, unmarried widows. Naomi expected. She had done raised kids, man. Like she's, done, she's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, moving on. She's ready to go. But Orpah and Ruth are there, and maybe that's where you are in your your, maybe just in life, there's something that died that you didn't expect to die. The job was lost, the house was lost, the car was lost, the relationship died. Something in your life died unexpectedly. And so today there is hope and there is encouragement today because some of us in our marriage life were there. Maybe you've given up being married. You're like, all right, it just ain't gonna happen. It's all right. And no, I'm not giving out the book I gave up dating, because if you give me that today, I'm going to be really frustrated with you, because I'm going to say, you might as well say never been kissed, because that's all that is. I'm not going to worry about that. You don't need that book. I'm not going to give you that book. Get excited that I'm not going to give that to you, because you got to still date when you're married. I'm just going to put that out there. But all of us expect that rom-com like that we had growing up. They don't make those anymore. They were lost leaders, right? Is the will they or they won't they? Like, is it going to happen? And yes, they did. It's Hallmark Channel now. Like, you know it's going to happen, but you're still sucked in every Christmas, right? Like, you got to get in there to do that. We expect the fairy tale ending. We expect it all to line up. That's where Ruth and Orpah were. Like, it was all supposed to line up. It was all supposed to work out. But instead, here we are in this space that we never thought that we would be. And that's the story that... that Orpah and Ruth have and Naomi have, and maybe that's the story that you have. Maybe right now where you are uh, is, you just said, I just, somebody's just got to put the right slipper on my foot. You know, it's just got to have that Cinderella story. And by the way, there's a lesson in that too. Cinderella only had to take one shoe off to get her man. I'm just saying that everybody else, read into it how you want to. Parents, you're welcome. Take that into the argument you have with your teenagers. So just saying, wherever, she only took a shoe off. I'm just saying, didn't require anything else. Just put it out there. That's why I don't get to get, anytime I get ready, because whenever we have that 100% spur, that's going to be my message. 
Because if you don't, if you take off more than the shoe, you might as well queue up Avril Lavigne. So much for your happy ending. Anyway, wherever you are, let's go on and learn about this in the house of the Lord. The first thing I want you to know today when it comes to your marriage is this, in your life. Your mission in life on this earth is more than your marriage. Your mission is more than your marriage. And this is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Real quick, as we dive into the word of God and Ruth, your mission is more than your marriage, but when you become married, marriage becomes part of your mission. Understand what I'm saying? Your mission is greater than your marriage, but when you become married, your marriage is part of your mission. So what has to be found first? Your marriage or your mission? Your mission. Your mission is more important than your marriage, but it does not denigrate your marriage. Your marriage then, when it happens, and you say those vows in God's covenant, is part of your mission. But so many times in this world we live in, maybe one spouse carries the covenant and the other doesn't, right? And we find out what ends up happening is in the end, maybe you are divorced and you look at Ruth and Orpah and you say, it doesn't, go to, it doesn't apply to me, but it really does. Because a severed relationship is the same as someone passing away when it comes to this covenant. So I want us to have that frame, your mission is more than your marriage. Ruth 1, verse 8 to 10, we're going to pick up what ends up happening. So now we have uh, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth here in, this, in, the, in the picture of Ruth very quickly. And it says this, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. So when we pick up the story, Orpah and Ruth are going to go back with their mother-in-law. What ends up happening is in Bethlehem, now famine is no longer in the land and if you understand the time frame that they're in, for a woman to be by herself is really bad. For, for a woman and, two, and her two daughter-in-laws to be by herself, it's really, really bad. And what would happen in those times is a woman would not have property rights, okay? A woman who is by herself literally would not only have her property taken from her, but she was very vulnerable to be raped and killed, so Naomi is in a terrible situation. Like they're in a, in, a, in a place that is not part of God's promise. It's not part of the promised land. Moab is not part of the promised land. So she's going back into God's promise, more on that in a little bit, with Orpah and Ruth, and she's saying, hey, you can stay here. She's about to say, you can stay here or you can go with me, but I'm not staying here, okay? So now Orpah and Ruth are weeping. They're like, we're not gonna leave you, mother-in-law. We want you to, we wanna stay with you forever. And let's see how this plays out because you see marriage is not the mission of Ruth and Naomi but it is of Orpah let's skip down to verse 15 look Naomi said this is her to Ruth your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her like I I read this and it probably wasn't nice and mother-in-law language it wasn't a nice mother-in-law talk it was a I ain't got room for you on my donkey. Stay back. Or my camel. There's only two humps on this camel, and I'm in between them. You ain't got no room for you. Go back to Moab. You ain't coming with me. But look at Ruth. This is Ruth, just her faithfulness. Look at this. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. The people, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. Even if death separates you and me, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She stopped urging her. So wherever you are right now, as you see this, if the mission was marriage for Naomi and Ruth, they would have stayed in Moab and got remarried. Naomi might have went back to Bethlehem, but Ruth would have stayed in Moab to be married because, you see, we see this in the life. You know those folks that they always, like, they, they always have a boyfriend or girlfriend? You know what I'm saying? Like They always had that. That's just what, that was part of their life. That was in, intertwined in their life. Nothing wrong with that. That's, hey, I'm not bashing that. I'm just saying if the only mission was to always have a boyfriend or girlfriend, it's going to really hurt in marriage because there are times married folks will tell you they don't want to be with their spouse at times. Like You're just angry. You, you, you've broken all the dishes that you've thrown at each other, so it's time to like, you just don't want to be there. But you see, Ruth and Naomi both realize that there's something greater that is happening. Ruth, who is a Moabite outside of God's promise, she's not even Jewish, is saying this, she is, she is saying, I trust God's promise more than me finding a husband. So I will go back with you, Naomi, to Bethlehem. I wonder if we trust God's plan and God's timing more than our desire. How much different would that play out in every area of our life? How much different would that play out in our relationships? It would be so much different, wouldn't it? Because that third cord would be holding us. It wouldn't be me and the other person holding it together. It would be that third cord holding us. So what ends up happening here one more time is knowing your mission before your marriage is so important for us. Because when you know that, your priorities come into alignment. Into alignment, excuse me. When we talk about the church, honestly, uh, there, we'll get to it in a little bit, but the divorce rate inside the church is the same as outside the church. Even among leaders in the church. Isn't that something? And I would tell you most of the time that it happens is because uh, the spouses weren't in agreement on their calling. On their calling. Imagine if you said, if you are a missionary and you are called to Uganda and you want to marry my freckled sunburned self and you don't tell me. We need SPF 1000. We're going to have to figure this out. Like, there's going to have to be some things. We're not on the same page in the calling. And you see, that's okay for a little bit in the honeymoon phase. But when you get down to the work of marriage, the knit and gritty, the hard seasons, the valleys, not the mountaintops, it's easier to split than to persevere through. And so for us, if we're not on the same page about our mission, we will literally break ourselves apart in our marriage. So for each and every one of us, you're saying, well, I thought you were doing a like couple series or whatever this is. Now you're talking about a calling. Well, how do I find it? She had it in our Bible app yesterday, Matthew 6, 33. If you want to find your calling, I'm going to go ahead. Here, here's, here's your life hack, if you will. Here's the instruction manual from the Word of God, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. One more time. You want to find your calling? Seek his kingdom first his righteousness all the rest will fall in line see when i'm out of whack i realize when i'm trying to hang on i ain't seeking his kingdom first i'm seeking my control when life seems out of whack but when i seek his kingdom first i get to rest in the freedom of him and know that the labor of my hands and what he's called me to do will be blessed because it's his so matthew 6 33 when i seek him first and his righteousness 
then all these things are added unto me. Same is true in your relationship. Same is true in your marriage. Same is true in your work. Same is true across the board. And when you're on the same page with your mission, you're on the same page with your calling, all of a sudden, your marriage can be strengthened. Because you're rowing the same way. You're rowing, as we like to say, that old cliche. You're rowing the boat the same way. So your marriage is more, your mission is more than your marriage, excuse me. The second thing we can understand when it comes to the date debate, wherever you are today, is your security in Christ is for all seasons. Your security in Christ is for all seasons. So once you know your mission and you become married, marriage becomes part of your mission, but it is part of your calling, not your calling. Now because of that, we can see there's security in Christ through every season, single, widowed, divorced, married, married with children, married not with children, widowed, wherever you are, we can have security in Christ. Let's go to Ruth 2, verse 5 through 9. We're going to see my man Boaz show up. Here we go, verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short time to rest in the shelter. What I want to tell you really quick before we move on, I don't want to get too sidetracked. Y'all know how I can do that very easily. But verse 5 through 7 really uh, affects my heart. The church was always supposed to be the welfare system. What ended up happening, which you have to understand wherever you are, is that... uh, in, in Israel, what would happen is the outside edges of the field were left for the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Remember when Jesus, the Pharisees, got mad because the disciples were plucking the heads of grain on the field? That was the outside edge. They had to leave the outside edge of their field uh, all the way through when it came to that. So the outside edge of their field were left for the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Okay, so it helped the poor. But also what happened is when they harvest and they plucked heads of grain out uh, all the way through. If anything touched the ground, the, the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the foreigner could pick it up. So one more time, if you're harvesting, if anything touches the ground, it is no longer yours. It is the Lord saying that it goes to someone who is under, does, not have, does not have means, right? Does that make sense? Someone who's not have means. And the outside edge of your field was left for that. So you had two spaces where that was left. So that was the original welfare plan. The church was always, God's people was always supposed to be that, where we came and we lifted each other up. So we'll get too sidetracked there. Let's go to verse eight. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Look at this. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So now Boaz is saying, listen, you are safe in this space. We'll go back to week one. We'll go back to last week. Remember, husbands, if you're fighting with your wife, it really has to do about security and her being secure. Security, 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 sorry, my bad. (laughs) You know it's bad. Uh, Security. Wives, when you're fighting with your husband, the root of it is support, whether he believes you support him or not. If you can get to that, then you can start working through things. But that's really the root of all of it. So now all of a sudden, Ruth has security 
Not only in where she is, but now she has food security. Now she also can have something to drink. And another tangent really quick, go back and look it up. Remember, what does the name Bethlehem mean? The house of bread. John 6, Jesus said he is the bread of life. And then all of a sudden he says, go get the water jars where the men have filled with water to replenish yourself. What's the first miracle of John 2? The water. Anyway, I could open this stuff all day long. So let's get back to the relationship series. So where you are, look at what Ruth is doing. She knew what to say yes to. If you're looking in your relationship, if you are in your marriage or you're single or you're dating, know what to say yes to. Ruth knew what to say yes to. She said yes to Naomi And saying yes to Naomi, really she was saying yes to God to going back to Bethlehem. And in that, she was no longer in famine. Instead, she was in provision. But that provision was only found within God's promise. She's outside of God's promise. She's in the world getting provided for. That falls away. She goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem when the famine is over inside of God's promise. And all of a sudden, there is provision. That's true for all of us in every relationship, isn't it? Just think about that. How many times do I want to be in my strength and I want my yes, my yes, my yes. Lord, this is what I want. It's what I want. I want it now, right? But instead, if we trust him and say, Lord, hey, it is what it is. What it is. I trust you. If it's a yes, it's a yes. If it's a no, it's a no. But it's your yes or no that I trust. See, Ruth trusted God's yes And then she found provision, and only that, Boaz shows up. More on that in a minute. So let me ask you this. In your relationship, when God says yes, what it does, does it not strengthen your faith? Strengthen your foundation? And if you have a strong faith and a strong foundation, I'm pretty sure your house is being built on the rock, isn't it? If you know that your house is going to weather the storm, are you worried about it? Was Jesus worried about it? Or was he asleep in the hole? See, when we trust his yes over our yes, man, oh man, what we can have in our relationships, in our marriage, even in a season of singleness, even in a season we never thought we would be in. But if we got to know what to say yes to, it automatically implies we have to say no what to say no to, right? See, when God gives us a no, once again, Side eye, what a, he doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. We all get there. Don't even act like you don't. As your pastor, I always need prayer. Sometimes I get that way with the Lord, and then he just points me to the cross and reminds me, <laughs> reminds me of that bloodstained cross and said, your little problem was solved up there, so just let it be. Trust me. But here's the thing that Satan's going to do when you have that no from God. He's going to do his best to fill that want to distract you. As a matter of fact, the want, not the need, your want. Big difference. God provides all that you need, not all that you want. Satan will try to throw in front of you what you want to distract you from God's yes. And what what does the want look like in your relationships? Well, it's the easy way. It's the easy way, isn't it? It's the easy way. It's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. And if the shortcut was the way, it would just be known as the way. But the shortcut is the shortcut. That's why it's a no. So when God says no, trust his no. When he slams the door on that relationship, trust him. 
Don't go back in saying, I'm going to break this in. You got the battering ram trying to bring it in, and God's giving you red flags everywhere saying, no, this is not your best. Ruth knew that. It was not her best to be in Moab because she was called to something greater. What if that's you? Now, listen, this isn't breakup Sunday. Y'all know I don't, I don't believe in all that mess, but I'm trying to say, if you're not married, if, you are, if you're not married, Maybe you're in a space that you're not in the right relationship and God's throwing up red flags everywhere to let you know this isn't what you need to recenter and have Jesus at the center of it. If you are married, maybe you had Jesus at the center of it and you forgot about that. Today's the day to bring Jesus back to the center of your relationship so you can know what to say no to and know what to say yes to. If you're with me, give me an amen. One more thing. All right, here we go. This is the fun part. This is where you break it out. This is where... You know, you get all the good stuff. You ready? Your dating life can glorify God. Your mission is more than your marriage. Your security in Christ is for all seasons. And your dating life can glorify God. Did you know that your dating life can glorify God even if you're married? You know why? Because if your kids see your dating life, it's going to give them an example to follow. But if they don't, then they're not going to know. I would tell you one of the hardest struggles for me in a relationship is I, I have no clue. I didn't know what dating looked like till I was in high school and Tim and Olivia were dating. I had no clue. That was the only example I had of that. And that's no one's fault. It's my mother never remarried. Like, it just wasn't that. So I had no clue what dating looked like. Like, not the slightest. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, am I supposed to get a limo or something? Like, I don't know. I can't afford that. Like, what? Is, I can't do that. Like, I don't know what dating looks like. Like, do you get flowers every time, or you just, oh, you just show up and go to Denny's after the football game. I like that. I can do that. That was good stuff. Peanut butter pie. If you knew, you know. Son, that's why I'm 800 pounds right now. But all the time, at Reese's Pies, man, I'm going to tell you, it's the only reason to go to, anyway, thank God for metabolism when I had it. Uh, your dating life can glorify God. So what ends up happening is Ruth wasn't trying to find a mate. Ruth wasn't trying to find a spouse. But Naomi says, hey, there's this guy named Boaz, and he's giving you the eye. And he likes you. I'm pretty sure he likes you. And I think that you'll like him. You've been working in his field. He's provided security for you. But here's the thing. This is how you have to go to him. See, in Israel, inside of God's promise, we have this thing called a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. So go to him and see if he'll redeem you. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. What does redeem mean? It means now all of a sudden, Ruth, who was outside of the promise of God, now could step inside of the promise of God, not only have provision and security, but actually have a place with God's people. It says this, Ruth 3, verse 10 through 13. If you got your Bible and you want to get there. When she asked Boaz if he will be her guardian redeemer. Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another one who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. In the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it, lie here until the morning. Now understand this. I know I made a comment. You may not like what I said earlier, but I'm being real. I said Ruth only took off, or uh, Cinderella only took off her slipper to get her man. I know this is, I know that. Listen, what, how did Ruth get noticed? Think about her story. She shows up in the field and her hard work gets noticed. 
When she shows up in the field and she's working hard, it's her attitude of gratitude. She said, please let me go among the harvesters. So now Boaz noticed she's hardworking. He's like, hey, who is that? She's like outworking everybody. She must be hungry. Like there's something going on. And they're like, oh, that's, that's Ruth. She came with Naomi and she was worked really hard, sun up to something. She only stopped to rest one time. And she asked, can I go behind the harvesters to pick up what's left on? She even asked if she could be here. She didn't even know that it's just common that you're supposed to be able to do that. And then all of a sudden, she has her hard work, her attitude of gratitude, and then all of a sudden, her character comes into play. What did Boaz just say in verse 11? All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Proverbs 31, read it all day long. So, What are we trying to put out front for those that we're trying to attract? What are we trying to put out front for those that we're trying to find in a spouse? Because here's the thing I want you to know. What if instead we were just trying to be the person God created us to be? How much greater could our marriage be? said it a million times. I'll say it again because it's true. God brought you together in marriage to do through you what he couldn't do with you separated. The easiest example of that is children. I don't care where you are. It takes an X and a Y to make a baby. That we can do everything we want to, but that's what has to happen. You got to have that, an X and a Y. There's no way around it. You got to have those come together and either make an XX or an XY. That's just how it goes. You got to have, there's got to be a man and woman come together. Even if they do it in a, in a test tube, it's still got to be that. You couldn't do that separate. As much as you think you can, you can't. You can't. I'm sorry, you can't. So that's just truth. You can't. So that being said, that's the easiest example. But what if your mission then became greater in your marriage than it was without it? What if you treated your marriage that way? Once again, your mission is greater than your marriage, but then what if it can take a bigger step being married together? That's what we're looking at. That's, that's what we're saying. But it requires you first to have your strong individual walk with Christ. It doesn't mean when you get married, you just stop walking with Jesus. You're just like, all right, I got what I needed. I'm going to roll on. No, 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 you still grow in your relationship with Christ. So let me talk about the dating relationship here for a little bit when it comes to this. And married people, there is something in here for you uh, as well. So when it comes to dating, uh, for the type A people, you're going to be as frustrated as I am. I could have done the ABCs, but I couldn't get the B to work out. I could have did the bank in there. But anyway, you'll see it when we go there. So when it comes to the phases of dating, the first thing you have when it comes to dating is attraction. Attraction. You're attracted to the person. Traction is actually programmed inside of us so that we get over our fear of talking to others. What is every rom-com about? What is every like uh, coming-of-age teenager movie about? Am I going to ask her out at the dance? Right? Like, are, is it going to happen? Yeah. Am I going to the party for the place spin the bottle? Like, there's an attraction that is there. Like, you have an attraction. I don't care who you are. You are attracted to your spouse somehow. Either intellectually, like we think physically. It's not just physically. It's intellectually. Hey, maybe they make you laugh a lot. Like humor is part of it. We are attracted to others. But here's the thing with attraction. We will often take attraction in our phase of dating and think and confuse it with love at first sight. And I just want to be honest with you. Love at first sight does not exist. I know you're going to get mad at me probably for a second, but hang in here with me. Love at first sight doesn't exist. You know why? If you talk to anybody who's been married longer than 10 years, that's that's the thing I would tell you. I would say this. If they're still together and they're still fighting for their marriage, they would tell you their love at 10 years is stronger than that first attraction. And if they could tell that person that thought that feeling of love at first sight, and ask if they were to ask them if it was worth it, they would say, what are you waiting on? 
Because their love is stronger now. They are, their love is stronger than it was in that first little feeling. Because see, that first feeling of love at first sight, you didn't see the flaws. You just, ah, it's just, I love you so much. I haven't figured out you don't leave the toilet seat up. Like, I haven't figured that out yet. Like, no, 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 you don't have any of those. You have that fight on the way to the honeymoon. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the limo, on the way to the airport. Like, we're going to be late. We're not going to be late. That's your first fight, always, is what it is, uh, wherever you are. Back to the house of bread when Bethlehem, when did the married couple actually get to have their first laugh at the wedding? When they cut the cake. That's why they throw it at each other. Let's be real, because they hadn't even ate. Somebody had to get a plate of food for them, so they throw the cake. So bread is involved. Anyway, attraction. Attraction. Are you attracted to that person? That made it happen. You're attracted to your spouse. You're attracted to another for some way, but don't think it's just physical. The second phase of dating is connection. Sorry, left the B out. Like I said, hang in there. Connection. We call that, or compatibility. What happens in this connection phase? You share your story. You start examining the baggage you carry in. You share your trauma. You get to know the other person. You get to figure out, you're like, yes, they make me laugh, or yes, they're really smart, but they're so smart, I don't know what they're talking about. So I just, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, flux capacitor. Yeah, that too. Yeah, all that. Yeah. I don't, yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. You start going through that. And so you start reconciling. You have this compatibility. You get to know each other. You, you start to have this connection. But then what happens is you have an attraction and a connection. You start to know the flaws, the characters. You, you start seeing the, the patina come off of it, the, the polish come off, and it leads you to a decision. So your attraction, connection, decision. Here's what happens with the decision. If the liabilities and the baggage are worth it, you say yes and you move forward to marriage. If they aren't, you say no and you split. That's usually what happens, how it should happen. But here's where we get issues here. Uh, Wherever you are, I'll just be honest with you, wherever you are in life too affects this. Somebody who's 60 years old has moved past the attraction and will get to connection really quick because they, you know what I'm saying? Like 70, 80 years old, you know, like me, like I'm gonna be like Strom Thurmond. It's just how it is, you know, like so I'm gonna be like 80 years old having kids everywhere. That's just how we roll. Uh, the connection is gonna be a lot different, right? Like you go straight to that phase and you figure out the decision real quick. Like they ain't getting a second date. I don't even know how to text them. I don't know what in the world to do. So like wherever you are, it depends on where you are in life, how you move through these phases and you move at different times, right? So let me ask you this. Uh, or let me say this, I'm not going to ask you. When it comes to church world, most people in the church, most Christians get married after attraction and close to connection. They don't work all the way through the connection. They, get, they, they have attraction, and then all those years of wanting and wanting, they connect and they make the decision, and, and they get married and they get some Gatorade or some Powerade and some Red Bull and make up for lost time. You know, So that is what the church does. That's what the church does. The world gets married right after attraction and nowhere near connection because they figure they'll get the connection in the marriage. And so they rush the decision. And that's just the truth. Yet, the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is outside the church. And that's why I said earlier, it's because you're not on the same page in the church of your calling. And that's where your mission, that's where marriages in the church can struggle is when that happens. So what are we trying to say when it comes to this for your singleness? Well, 
You're going to work through these phases at different times, but understand you need to go through them, most importantly, understanding what your mission is, because when you have the attraction to the other person, the connection might actually be in your calling and why God's brought you together. But if you leave Jesus out of that, man, you're going to go rushing into a decision, and it's going to leave you and those you love broken and in a bad space. And it doesn't mean you can't work through it. It just means that it's going to leave you in a season you probably didn't want to be in. Married folks, this is where I'm talking to you when the date happens. You see, sometimes it's real easy after you make the decision to say, I ain't got to worry about that no more. But to be quite honest with you, just because you made the decision doesn't mean you don't have the connection anymore, right? You made the decision for kids, does that mean that your, your connection's harder to have but it's something that you got to fight to have. Because if you don't, what ends up happening is your attraction to your mate goes to someone else. Conway Twitty sitting there saying, I see the want to in your eyes, right? You know, who needs that? Loves Kanye, but nobody needs that. Or Conway, but I don't need all that. I said Kanye, it's even worse. We got kicked off again. Uh, wherever we are. But you see, married folks, after the decision, your connection will grow stronger and your attraction to your mate will grow stronger if you continue to have this date at uh, this date orientation, I guess. I, I'll put it to you this way. Barna did a, a research study not too long ago. It was like a men's group, and they asked, uh, I guess I saw this in one of our recent Bible devos. Uh, every man uh, in this men's group said, okay, my answer is going to be the same. All of us are going to be the same. What are the three priorities you have in your life, right? God, family, work. Every man will tell you those three. I mean, you probably, I could ask every man in here, and somewhere in there, you're going to have those priorities somewhere else. And you would say, list those priorities. And every man would put at the top God, and every man would put next family, and every man would put work third. But what if I were to take your calendar, your, your iPhone or your uh, Samsung Galaxy, whatever that is, and I looked at your calendar, how would it be prioritized? Would God be first? Would your family be second? Would work be third? Or would work be your calendar all the way through? I'm guilty of that. Listen, I'm guilty of that. I'm preaching to the choir. So if that's the case, then we have to make room and make space to continue to date. Because what ends up happening is Ruth and Boaz in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. We're there, y'all. We just went through four chapters. Praise God and amen. Before the rapture came, Jesus is alive. We're so thankful for that. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And we made love to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. See, she didn't have children in Moab. Now in God's promise with Boaz, he redeems her. They get married. They have babies. They have a son specifically. The women said to Naomi, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him or has given him birth. Think about that. So now this baby's here. Naomi gets to be a grandma. She's been waiting forever for it. It happens afterwards and it, Ruth, if Ruth said no to Naomi, if Naomi just would have left in the middle of the night and left Ruth in Moab, she never would have got to experience that. How crazy is that? Never neglect why Jesus has people in your life. Look at Ruth. Instead of staying in Moab, she knew it wasn't God's best for her, so she steps inside of God's promise and look at how the provision happens and how God fulfills the mission in her life. The mission in her life. 
the mission in her life. See, before we go back to 2 Peter in just a minute, the mission in her life. If you read in the bottom of 4, there's a little lineage that's there. But I, I would prefer rather to go to Matthew 1. If you were to look at Matthew 1 and the lineage of Jesus, this is what's crazy. There are two women mentioned in there. You see, Boaz is no uh, stranger to what it feels like to have someone outside of God's promise be brought into God's promise. Why? Because Boaz's dad's name's Salmon. Yeah, cool guy. That's a strong name. If I saw that on a resume, I'm hiring him. Especially if I have a, if I have a boating business, that's the guy I want. Salmon. Get in here, boy. Like, I want him. Salmon. So Salmon marries Boaz's mother. What was Boaz's mother's name? Rahab. Now, if you're not familiar with Rahab, Rahab uh, is a prostitute who ran a brothel in Jericho. She hid the Israelite spies. She's the only thing that was spared in Jericho. And she marries Salmon. So someone outside of God's promise now is inside of God's promise. And they have a son, and his name is Boaz. And so Boaz is on his field. He's a single guy. He's old. He's trying to figure things out. You even saw, he, he told Ruth, you didn't go after the rich men or the younger men. So I thank you for choosing me to be your guardian redeemer. He didn't go after all that. Instead, he continued to do God's plan, continued to do God's work. And he sees this woman who is outside of God's promise, now stepping into God's promise, and she, he knows that she, what she feels like because his mother felt that. So now Ruth and Boaz come together, and it's really awesome. So they have a son. Their son's name is Obed. Obed. I don't know what happened. A four-letter word, but it is what it is. Obed. And so you say, Obed, what a great name. I don't know who that is in the Bible. Awesome. Well, you do know who his son is. His son's name is Jesse. All of you who went to the Dukes of Hazard know a different one. But Jesse... Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. You see, Ruth would have missed out on all of that if she would have stayed outside of God's promise and she was so focused on being married instead of stepping into his promise to have his provision. Because see, 2 Peter 1.3 reminds us his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Ruth and Rahab are mentioned in Jesus' lineage. Two people outside of God's promise. Two people that had no business to be a part of God's family got to be a part of God's family because they trusted. And here's what I want you to know, my friend. The world will throw all kinds of gifts at you, even outside of your relationship. It will tell you that what it has to offer is the best you will ever get. And if you don't believe it, advertisements are all the way through. We just got through with weight loss season and love season, now it's about to be beach body season. You're gonna see every commercial getting you beach body ready. They're gonna tell you that's what you need to be successful. I mean, it's just real. But here's the thing that we have to remember. The greatest gift the world has to offer is nothing, nothing compared to God. Nothing compared to his divine power. Nothing compared to what he has given us. Because some of us right now, wherever you are, you're trying to make it all work. You are trying to make it all work. No matter what you do, you are working hard. You got an attitude of gratitude. Your character is great. Even in your relationship, you may be the only one in your marriage fighting for it. And you're trying to make it work. And it keeps falling apart. It keeps falling apart. You keep going after uh, counselor after counselor, book after book, relationship advice after relationship. And it just works won't work and you can't figure out why. And I just want to ask you this. Have you considered the greatest gift that God's ever given? Is Jesus in it? 
Because in this world, it'll try to give you all these gifts. It ain't nothing compared to Christ and him crucified for us. Who, by the way, did the hardest work that we could never do, right? See, sinners in need of a savior, that is all of us. All of us are trying to earn our way to salvation, whether we want to admit it or not, it is where we are. We would all agree, no matter where we are on the spectrum of following Jesus, that we would want to have a good and godly life. We would want to have a good life wherever you are. And I will tell you, the only way to have a good life is through Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's a great life, isn't it? It's the only way to find life wherever you are. And so today, would you consider Jesus? Maybe in your relationship, you've neglected that. Today is the day you lay it back down and remind yourself that he is the third cord bringing it all together. But in your personal life, you have to figure out and you have to know first that he is your Lord and Savior. He is the greatest gift ever. Because all of us are sinners deserving of death. Sinners, what does that mean? That we are in direct, uh, we are in a chasm. We are in direct uh, opposition to God because of our sin. You say, I've never sinned. You've never been to. You have sinned. I promise you, you have sinned. What is sin? Anything that is against God's will for us, right? Like sin, we have all sinned. And because of that, has left us in a destitute place in Moab outside of God's promise. But God loved us enough. He gave his greater gift and said, instead of you being outside of my promise, I want you to be inside of my promise, but it's gonna take something redeeming you first. That's the story of Ruth and Boaz is your and my salvation story. We were outside of God's promise, dead in our sin, destined for death. But God himself came down in Christ Jesus and redeemed us to bring us into his promise. And that's what Jesus has done. And this is how we, this is how we get this provision. This is how we get this promise. It's trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. And John three sixteen and 17 reminds us of that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is not mad at you because of your sin. God is not frustrated with you because of your sin. Instead, he is throwing the gift of salvation and life in front of you, and he is asking you, are you willing to open it? See, this is why we do what we do each and every week. It's not about a marriage. It's not about a relationship. It's, it's not about a relationship uh, between you and your spouse, between you and your friends, between you and your coworkers. It's actually more important. It's about a relationship with you and creator God. And you can only have that through Christ Jesus. So with this gift of salvation in front of you, will you open it? We're gonna say a prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that saved you. It's the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. That is what we're about to say. We're about to confess that we are a sinner and we are gonna repent and turn from our sin. And we're gonna say how we do that is we're gonna surrender lordship of our life, our yeses and our noes to Christ Jesus. And we're gonna ask him to lead us as only he can. So with every head bow and every eye closed, I pray out loud for the benefit of those who are coming to faith for the first time. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life, the best way I know how. 
with every head bow and every eye closed, whether you're in the house or you're watching online, and for the first time, you can say that you have surrendered lordship of your life to Christ and confessed and repented of your sins. You have given all of your yeses and your noes to him. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you, if for the first time you have done that, to boldly raise your hand. One, two, three. If you're in the house, would you raise your hand? If you're online, would you raise your hand? You can leave us a comment with a raised hand. Uh, you can also... Um, Leave us a message in social media. Reach out to us at 864-580-6698. You can shoot us a message in our app. We would love to celebrate this decision with you because I want to let you know this is your starting block. It's not so that we can get credit. We actually want to get you in church, touch with a local church so you can continue to grow and all that Jesus created you to be. And for the rest of us, I just pray through today that you've been encouraged, that your marriages have been strengthened, your relationships are going to be growing. And right now that we go before the Lord and we would just rest in his presence, knowing that he has our best yes and no in store, knowing that he is our provision and knowing that because of him, we can live life on mission. Would you stand and sing?
thankful that you have gathered here with us today. We want to invite you to come gather with us again next week uh, as we continue our series, She Said, He Said, We Said. It's She Said, He Said. We're so excited that you have joined us today. And hey, come see our smiling face. We got sickness going around. You know what? We're still going to pray about it and share it with you, but not really. We're going to pray that the Lord protects us. So make plans to be here with us next week and have an awesome week. Remember, the best is still yet to come.